often when education providers and employers have conversations, it's about skills. And our observation is that that conversation either yields a set of two skills or a list of 100 skills, neither of which is particularly helpful. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And on today's episode, Mana Morshed joins Tom to talk about the global skills gap and a new way to build skills and increase job readiness. We're here with uh, Mona Morrishead from McKinsey. Mona's the head of the education practice at McKinsey and the executive director of Generation, a nonprofit social initiative created uh, to build skills and job readiness. Uh, Mona, thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, Mona, why do we have such a big skills gap worldwide? So if you look globally, there are 73 million young people today who are unemployed and three times as many who are underemployed. And the reason why that's the case is because of frictions that are occurring between young people, employers, and education providers, um, with the young people falling through the cracks as a consequence. And the, it really comes down to several variables. One is with regards to the skills readiness. So if you look at, for example, whether education providers, employers, and young people think that young people are actually ready for the workforce, you find that literally somewhere between 75 to 85% of education providers would say that their graduates are ready for the job market, and somewhere between 30 to 50% of employers and, and youth would agree with that statement. So there's a disconnect on that, which I often call the parallel universe problem. And if you then go to the second level and ask, well, what is the cause for the optimism that education providers have? And are they looking at job placement data? What you find is that, uh, first of all, a third of education providers can't even answer the question about job placement of their graduates. And those that do often overestimate by as much as 50%. So that's one area of, of challenge. Another area of challenge is with regards to information and support for young people to be able to make informed decisions about what to study, where to, where to go, and what are the career opportunities that go along with any given path. Um, so typically, and this is true across the world, you find that so, some, only somewhere between 30 to 40 percent of young people actually have the information they need to make these decisions. And then when you look at the side of, of employers, um, employers often struggle to be able to articulate what exactly it is that they need in terms of skills such that they have the talent that they require in order to be able to grow and to expand. And so across all three of these parties, um, there is often a lack of either information or alignment, which results in much of the problem that we see today. And how does Generation address that uh, problem? So Generation is, uh, is a program that seeks to recruit, train, and place young people in jobs. Um, and we work across five countries. So the US, Spain, India, Kenya, and Mexico. And what we're seeking to do is to literally take each of the challenges along the workforce value chain, if you will, and figure out solutions to tackle each one of them. So for example, our young people begin with a clear understanding of the fact that the jobs are confirmed. So we work with employers to pre-confirm job vacancies, and those vacancies are confirmed before the training actually even begins. Second, um, 
in terms of how we support young people to achieve the skills mastery, what we do is we spend time with employers not asking them what are the skills that they need, but actually shadowing their employees of varying performance levels to be able to understand what is it that their high performers do in this role for that tenure. And that really distinguishes them from those employees of different performance levels. And so we, we, we hone in on what are the, what we call the breakdown moments that really differentiate a high performer and then anchor our training. And then and that's the third piece. So we offer boot camps that are anywhere from four weeks to 12 weeks based on the profession. They're anchored on these breakdown moments. They're over 80% practicum. And in each and every module, our students are getting the technical skills, behavioral skills, and mindsets they need to greatly increase their likelihood of being a high performer. And alongside that, they're also getting access to social support services. So be it stipend, transportation, access to childcare. So things that today keep opportunity youth from being able to access and complete pro these programs. And then once our young people are on the job, they we, we then track the return on investment metrics for both the employer and the graduate. So for the employer, we are looking at productivity outcomes, quality outcomes, retention, speech promotion of our graduates relative to their non-generation peers. And for our graduates, we're looking at their personal and financial well-being. You talk Basically. about opportunity youth. How do you define that? Uh, so between the ages of 18 and 29, and who are experiencing at least two significant challenges in their life. Um, it could be poverty, it could be homelessness, it could be uh, domestic or sexual abuse, it could be uh, being a single parent um, and being unsupported. So our students across the world are disconnected in that national context. That being said, a U.S. student, for example, is typically a GED diploma holder or a secondary school degree holder. Um, in Spain, it is typically a master's student or a bachelor's student because in Spain, 50% of youth are unemployed. In Kenya, it's a form four certificate holder. So they may they, they look different in each country, but it's the population in greatest need in that particular country. Uh, let's drill down on a couple of these boot camps. Um, Let's start with the sectors that appear to be most promising for this kind of an intervention. Sure. Um, so we focus on four sectors. So tech, healthcare, retail slash sales, and advanced manufacturing and skilled trades. And then within each of those sectors, uh, we, we support a number of professions. So today we have about 15 professions. By the end of this year, we'll have about 20. And so the way that we've selected these sectors and professions is that uh, essentially these are middle skill jobs that are either high scarcity or high churn. And the reason why that's important is that these are the jobs which employers will invest in. These are the ones where unless they have the right talent, then they will experience adverse effects in terms of quality or growth or productivity. Um, so that's how we've selected these. And so the sectors are fairly uniform uh, across our countries because these are frankly the sectors that are also drive a lot of GDP and job growth globally. So let's talk about the boot camps. So describe the experience. How many students tell us what you can about the instructor? What, what's that boot camp experience like? 
Sure. Um, and I'm actually going to start before the boot camp because um, there's so the way that we've structured it is that uh, so first, when we go through our recruitment process, we're basically looking for three things. One is what, what I would call the basics. So it's literacy and numeracy that's consistent with the job role. So, for example, if it's a certified nurse assistant, it's seventh grade literacy numeracy. If it's IT help desk, it's 10th grade literacy numeracy. So that goes up and down based on the profession. Second, we're looking for intrinsics that are consistent with the role. So, for example, for healthcare roles, we're looking for empathy in our candidates. And that's not necessarily the case in some of the, in some of the tech roles. And then lastly, we're looking for the fire in the belly. And so with this, what we do is we provide our students or our, our candidates with about five hours of independent work that they have to do by themselves without us chasing them or sending them reminders. We are, though, tracking that it's being done. And so once someone makes it through those three, then they're able to join the boot camp. And then with the boot camp itself, and, and I should say, we have less than a 10% dropout rate in the boot camp itself because of the way we have structured the actual selection process. So then in the boot camp, we, we typically begin with, a, with what we would call a week zero. So this is really about providing intense exposure to the profession so that everyone's very clear. You know, so for example, if you're going into healthcare, will you faint at the sight of blood type of thing? Good thing to know. Uh, right. Um, and so we try to make sure that the, that our students in week zero have a very clear idea of what the profession is, what is great about it, what is a struggle, what are the hours, what, are you going to have a night shift, are you not, so that it's very clear right from the outset. And then each of the weeks is structured around a set of activities, which we call the breakdown moments. So these are the activities that employees in this role struggle with the most. And so we've anchored it. We've anchored it around activities, and in each activity, there is an abundance of, of of exercises so that you get repeat and intensive practice in that activity to have mastery of it. So, for example, if you're going into a sales program for banks or insurance companies, actually one of the first things which 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 we have our students do, and, and we began this in Kenya, is um, to have our students go out and sell water bottles on the street. Right? Why? Because you have to understand what it means to sell. You also have to understand what it means to get rejected, right? Because that's part and parcel of how do you pick yourself up and try again. With our certified nurse assistants, they have an, an extensive practicum which happens in the hospitals so that they do their clinicals. And so we've, we've anchored it so that it's, it's, it's a spiral. And you get re so you, you get exposed to a concept, you get reinforcement and, 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 and on it goes. Um, and you must demonstrate proficiency on the basis of a demonstrated set of tasks. As a, so there, it's, it's not that you take a little quiz. Um, it's, it's proficiency based on demonstration. And then while our young people are in the program, uh, they, they have a mentor who is meeting with them weekly and providing them with support and guidance, not just on the program, but also in challenges that might be happening in their life so that we're sure that they're able to have, for example, a plan A, plan B, plan C for childcare, a plan A, plan B, plan C for transportation, because these are the things that will most get in their way once they get on the job. We're talking to Mona Morrishead from McKinsey. We're talking about the Generation Program, a worldwide job training program. Mona, that sounds like a really well-developed boot camp curriculum. 
Where did that design come from? What models did you look for or look at when you developed the program? We have our own curriculum design team. And the way that we began doing this was that um, when, when we go to employers and are shadowing employees to understand the nature of the activities, that, that, that yields what we call an activity map, right? So there might be 30 things which you do in every day as a web designer. And then of those five activities are what we would call the breakdown moments. And so we found that in order to be able to structure a curriculum around the breakdown moments, we found it to be challenging to be able to work with education providers, um, to be able to do the amount of pulling apart of the curriculum that would be required and the putting it back together again. Um, and so that's why we created our own team. You know, And frankly, I think at, at this point, it takes us about somewhere around 10 to 12 weeks to be able to create a new curriculum from scratch for a boot camp. And we are also able to continuously refine our program and, and our curriculum on the basis of the performance of our graduates on the job. And so there's it, there's just a constant dynamic flow. And so what we and really what it's anchored on is repeat and intensive practice because that's how we support our graduates to develop muscle memory and to be at peak productivity and quality once they get on the job, which is our commitment to our employer partners. Is delivery uh, blended in any way? Is it a combination of online and face-to-face? -face? Increasingly so. I mean, so when we began Generation, it was very much a, uh, it was physical, you know, it was, it was all about physical classrooms and proximity. We are now beginning to experiment with digital simulations of the workplace context um, and to see what that yields in terms of how it supports our students to learn and how it accelerates learning of some aspects versus others. We've also now created um, a generation app. So it's, it's, it's a mobile app that accompanies our students from, from the day that, that, that they get accepted into generation through the boot camp to on the job. So we're finding a multitude of ways to be able to weave technology in. We also now are introducing as well um, cameras in our classrooms to be able to provide our instructors with real-time coaching because the boot camp happens so quickly. It's very important to be able to make sure that all of our classrooms are operating at a consistent level of quality. So we have woven technology in in multiple ways. You've talked a few times about demonstrated mastery. Tell us a little bit about the assessments. Sure. Um, you know, so for example... If you are in a sales program, then you need to be able to go through either role plays or through um, a set of exercises that demonstrate that you can manage a difficult customer or that you are able to upsell or that you are able to uh, read the signs of a particular customer to figure out what kind of a product is best suited to them. So typically these are, these, these are role plays that, that are crafted for this purpose. As, as I mentioned, we are now increasingly experimenting with digital simulations to see if that gives us the equivalent read as what the role plays would. Uh, what's the business model for generations? So our goal is that by 2018 that we're able to be self-financing on operating cost on the basis of the return on investment that we've created for employers um, and for governments in some cases um, and to some extent students. 
the way that we've started is what I would call catalytic philanthropy. Um, so we need to be able to prove the model and to prove the ROI for both employers and for young people. And so we spent, you know, so Generation began its operations in 2015. So we're, we are less than two years old. We, we do now have a set of employers who, ha who are now beginning to pay for the graduates whom they're hiring. Um, and we are also increasingly moving into what I would call a social franchise model, whereby there are uh, other nonprofits, employers, government providers that want to use the generation methodology. And so this is this is how we are now morphing. So today we've supported um, about 10, by the end of this year, we'll have supported 10,000 graduates. Um, and we have a 91% employment rate, and we have 87% who continue to be employed three months out, and that's versus a 55% industry benchmark. And for example, in Spain, which was one of our first programs, after 12 months, 85% of our students are still on the job, which in a country of 50% youth unemployment uh, is very high. It's such an interesting program because you're starting with candidates that have many of the basic attributes for success, but you're really closing the gap on employability. And I, I like the uh, breakthrough or these breakdown moments. Is a, It sounds like a key concept. It is very much so. I mean, I, I think the way that I would describe it is often when education providers and employers have conversations, it's about skills. And our observation is that that conversation either yields a, a set of two skills or a list of 100 skills, neither of which is particularly helpful. And so, and in some cases, it's difficult for the employers to also articulate what is it exactly that makes the high performer what he or she is. And so this is why we focused on activities, like what are actual activities that you do during the day and which of those do we observe most employees struggling with the most and what is it that the high performers do? And that's then when we get into the skills conversation, but only after we've isolated those activities. And then we link those breakdown moments to return on investment metrics for the employer. So productivity, quality, retention. And so that allows us to create a direct line between what we're training in and actual value created for the employer. It's quite possible that people could go through this several times in their in their lives as they move into new jobs or new fields. Does that seem possible? This boot camp model it could be useful several times? It could be. I mean, essentially, we've had... Um, so, for example, we had one student who went through a boot camp for customer service and actually then after a few months said, you know what, I want to now do a call center, right, type of thing. So that's certainly possible. It's also possible to go through the boot camp and then work for, work for you know, two years and then go on to do something else. So, for example, we had one student who was from our very first cohort of certified nurse assistants in the U.S., and she she worked for two years, had tremendous success, and decided now she wants to become a registered nurse. And so she's about to go back to school to get that degree. So the way that I would think about generation is we are taking disconnected young people who have either not had the opportunity or have not had the focus to be able to very rapidly not just get the skills they need, but to get a job and to get support to get their life in order. And then to have ongoing, what I hadn't mentioned earlier was we, we also provide ongoing mentorship support 
for three months after the person gets on their job, because that in, it, that tremendously increases the likelihood of them being able to thrive and, and to do well. And we're finding that our young people are having tremendous results. I mean, so for example, um, if you look at income, our graduates are today earning two to six times their income after generation than before. In the US, it's four times as much. In India, it's six times as much. And that's immediately following the boot camp, let alone for what, what happens over the course of the next one, two, three, four years, which we're tracking with Gallup so that we'll be able to show what's the short-term, medium-run, and long-term effect. That's really exciting. Mona, what's your background and how did you get interested in this uh, worldwide skills gap? Uh, so I am Egyptian American, um, and uh, I have so I lead McKinsey's global education practice, and actually got my start in K twelve. You know, so um, had done quite a lot of research and work in the K twelve space uh, on on how to improve uh, school systems rapidly, uh, and 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 in a, and in a significant way, um, and then began seeing that once young people get out of school, uh, then the problem is not over. There is a whole other problem which begins after they graduate, which is they can't get a job or they can't get into higher education. And so that's and so since 2012, have been doing um, research and work around education to employment. And so uh, it was really through that research, which we did, we had looked at over, at over 150 youth employment programs across 25 countries, that we began to see that while there are great youth employment programs in the world, most of them tend to be small. So they support less than 1,000 young people annually. Um, and even, even the larger ones are supporting less than five to 6,000 annually. They tend to be very expensive. Um, there tends to be not as much involvement from employers as what everyone would like. And so that's what got us thinking about creating the generation methodology. And so this is what we're testing and working on today. It's very exciting. And it, uh, it must be gratifying to see the value that you're creating for companies and disconnected youth and the associated min municipalities. Every time we go to a graduation, uh, you know, everyone cries because um, essentially you see on the faces of the families what it means for them. I mean, these are young people who have never had anyone say to them that you're good at something. They've never had been had anyone have confidence in them. And it's just it, at the generation graduation, you feel like for the first time, they're able to have their families cheering for them and they feel good about what's about to happen to their lives. That's um, so exciting. And when, when you think about the strife in, in uh, Africa and in the Middle East today, uh, so much of it is around em employability and the fact okay. that you're, you're building such a productive pathway to employability suggests to me that this is, this is not just about economic development, but it, it may be the most important thing that you could be doing to promote peace and prosperity. Essentially, if, if you look at employment, it has impact on economic productivity, but it has impact on community well-being, right. individual well-being. Gallup had done a survey um, of what matters most, and what they found was a good job matters more to individuals than even freedom. Right. And it's uh, it's 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 the cornerstone of everything else. Um, and so, yes, I, I think that through jobs and through well-being, 
you're able to affect many more variables. It's exciting work. Mona, thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks to Mona for sharing more about Generation, which is a social initiative created in 2014 to help bridge the global skills gap at both speed and scale. You can learn more at generationinitiative.org. And for the last year, our team's been studying and sharing the stories of individuals charting their own course to a career that they love through our Generation Do-It-Yourself project. Learn more about GenDIY at generationdoityourself.com. This podcast was produced by myself, Megan Mead, and mixed by Troy Lund. For more GS podcasts, head to our iTunes channel or find them on gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Megan, signing off.